This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. Now, she gave you her special banana pudding recipe, or you had to pry it out of her, or how did that happen? <laughs> that was not given. We all sat down, and we started talking about our food and putting the menu together, and the banana pudding came up, and we just kept going at it and going at it until that flavor memory kicked in. And I was like, wow, yes, right there, that's my mama. Imagine that, being a single mom, a pair of twins, you know what I'm saying, twins, $5,000 to your name, going to New York City and putting all of it on yourself. She's a force of nature, you're saying. And that's why I gravitate towards strong women like yourself, Marnie, obviously, and women that handle their business, because I just identify with that so much, because I have my mom as that example. Welcome to Homemade. I'm Marty Duncan. As we like to explore the stories behind the recipes, I often talk about learning to cook alongside my mom. I still use her cast iron skillets and her cake pans to make some of her most cherished recipes. And for many lucky people, mom is their first cooking teacher, for better or for worse. This week, we look back at past episodes of Homemade to hear what some of our most famous guests have to say about cooking with their own mothers. Some were great influences on their careers, and some, surprisingly, had mothers who did not cook at all. We hear from renowned chefs Carla Hall, Rodney Scott, Michael Simon, Duff Goldman, and Adam Richmond about everything from spinach pie to lasagna and fondue to meatloaf. Plus... My buddy, Master Chef Judge Aron Sanchez and his mom, legendary New York restaurateur Zarela Martinez, join me to talk about making mole and their Mexican cooking podcast. In today's first clip, season six winner of Food Network star and the resident spice queen herself, Artie Sequera, tells us that those first early lessons in patience and practice came directly from cooking with her mom. One of the things that we have in common is cooking with our moms and look at learning a lot about Mm -hmm. cooking from our moms. What is your favorite recipe that takes you back to your mom's kitchen thing that you make together? One of those traditional things. What tell, tell me about that. It's probably chapatis. We have a lot of homemade breads in India and they all tend to be sort of flat because fuel is very expensive there. So ovens are pretty much non-existent or have been until recently. So a lot of the bread cooking happens on the tava. It's a flat skillet, like a pancake pan almost, or a crepe pan. So chapatis are a simple bread. There's no leavening in it. It's whole wheat, really finely ground whole wheat flour, a little bit of oil or ghee, and some water. And that's it. Really? Yeah, that's it. No leavening. No leavening whatsoever. And so you knead it for a wicked long time and that kneading kind of puts a little bit of air into it, but it also activates the gluten. And so you have that sort of elastic aspect to the bread. But my mom would make this dough fresh 
every other day. One day we'd have rice, one day we'd have chapatis. We'd go back and forth and we would split up the labor. So either she would roll the chapatis and I would cook them or I would roll them and she would cook them. And so I just remember her looking over and, and me rolling them and not being able to get them into a circle. And she'd be like, what's that, Australia? And I was like, yes, I know, it's terrible. <laughs> and she's like, it's okay. You know, you just keep, you have to keep practicing. And even to this day, you know, she'll, she'll make dal, she'll make lentils. And I'll go, I have made lentils the exact same way that you told me to, and it doesn't taste the way that you make it. Isn't and, that the truth? Yes. And I'll say, what is that? And she said, she says, Aru, if you had made this recipe every week for 60 years, then you would make it like this as well. And that I think is the thing about cooking that keeps me going is that these days we're so used to being able to do something instantly, order food instantly. You want a book, order it on Amazon instantly. You know, they're even whatever, coming up with drones so they can drop the book on your face, like right then, you know? So, (laughs) so, but the thing about cooking is it forces you to slow down. It forces you to practice because there's something about cooking that is untouchable and unexplainable that only comes from doing it over and over and over again until you and that dish kind of have a relationship and are having a conversation with each other. You know, because every time you cook it, your onion's going to be a little bit different. Your heat's going to be a bit different. And all of those things will teach you about another aspect of that dish. There are no strangers at Rodney Scott's Whole Hog Barbecue. Rodney is a James Beard Foundation Award winner. He goes to great lengths to ensure that everyone has a seat at the table and are treated like family. It was super important to him to have his mom's banana pudding recipe on the menu. Well, I feel like you're bringing some family into the menu because you've got Ella's banana pudding. Who's Ella? That's my mom. Tell us a little bit about Ella's banana pudding and why it's so good that you put it on your menu. Let me tell you how special that banana pudding is. That banana pudding takes me back to when I was too short to see the kitchen counter and my mom would give me broken Nilla wafers that were left in the bottom of the box while she was making the banana pudding. So I knew if she was in there whipping up banana pudding, I would run right in there and be able to get me some crumbs of cookies. And growing up, just about every other Sunday or so, we had banana pudding on the table. It was just good. Yeah, my mama made one too. Now, tell me this. Your mama used whipped cream on the top or is it meringue? She used whipped cream. And that's how you serve it at the restaurant? Yes. Now, she gave you her special banana pudding recipe or you had to pry it out of her or how did that happen? (laughs) That was not given. We all sat down and we started talking about our food and putting the menu together and the banana pudding came up and we just kept going at it and going at it until that flavor memory kicked in. And I was like, wow, yes, right there. That's my mama. So we kind of reinvented my mama's banana pudding just by working it out. Earlier this season, Chef Michael Simon shared some Greek and Sicilian family history, as well as a hilarious story about his mom taking over the kitchen at his new restaurant on opening night. Well, listen, you're really known for being an Iron Chef and all of this over-the-top cooking you do, but really, your cooking 
all started at home and cooking at home is really what you love to do. Your mom was a great cook. Yeah. Your pap was a great cook and your grandmother. Tell me a little bit how you grew up and then how did that translate to you getting into the food business and becoming a chef? My mother's Greek and Sicilian. So obviously she loves food and loves to cook. Until I was in high school, my mom stayed home. We had a home-cooked meal on the table every night. My yaya, her mom, is actually from Sicily. And then my papu, I never met. He passed when my mom was 12. So my papu got kicked out of the Greek community when he started dating a Sicilian woman. Oh, my. So she learned how to, she had an eighth grade education. She learned how to speak Greek and cook Greek. And then my papu, I guess the story is my papu invited all his friends over and my yaya cooked him this big Greek dinner for all his friends. And they accepted him back into the Greek community because she could speak Greek and cook Greek. So my mom, until my, her father passed away, was only allowed to speak Greek in the house until my grandfather passed away. So until she was 12, until my papu passed away. So she didn't even know she was Italian or Sicilian until after he had passed. I'd say growing up, for me, it was about 60-40 Greek to Sicilian food when my mom cooked. I had it for dinner yesterday. What is your favorite dish of your mom's that she cooked for you? Oh, but, you know, it's probably her lasagna. I mean, my mom's lasagna, we serve it. It's actually funny. At Angeline, our restaurant named after my mother at the Borgata in uh, Atlantic City, her lasagna is on the menu. And I mean, she's made it for me, with me, with cooks a million times. And and I think we have it. I would say about 90% there. It's never as good as, it'll never in my mind be as good as my mom's. But she has it and she thinks it's better than hers. So I, you know, I don't know what to think, but. It's the mother love. I mean, is. I have the same thing with my mother's recipes. I'm in her kitchen here with her pots, her pans, making the exact same thing she made. And it doesn't taste the same. My dad and I would say, it's not quite right. It's not quite right. No. Not quite the same. Well, when we opened Angelina to Borgata, the opening party, my mom and dad, they, they were nice enough to fly out my mom and dad to come to the like the grand opening because the restaurant was named after my mother and there was a lot of her recipes on there. Now, my, I think you, did you meet my, you met my mom and dad, right? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah a couple of, so, yes. So, you know, my dad's 6'4", and my mom's 4'10", you know, so. Tiny, teeny, tiny. tiny thing. So, I go out into the dining room, I'm in the kitchen, I go out in the dining room to make sure they're okay, and, and I'm like, dad, where's mom? And he's like, oh, she, she got up, I think she went to the restroom. We're waiting, we're waiting. I'm like, where the heck is she? So I like, I go and I look over by the bathroom. I don't see her. And I like go back to the kitchen. She has an apron on in her, you know, she's Greek and Sicilian. So she wears those big ass heels and she has her heels on. She's in the kitchen telling them they made the meatballs wrong. Now this is a 250 seat restaurant. I'm like, ma, what? And all these cooks are like, who is this? Like, what's going on? You know, like. And yeah, she's but like, they weren't going to say no. No, she's no like, they weren't going to say no. She's like, who made the meatballs? I'm like, Mom, you got to get out of the kitchen. And so I go back out. I'm like, Dad, you, you got to get Mom. We're, we're in the middle of feeding 300 people. And my mother's in the middle of the kitchen. She has completely shut down production. My dad's like, I'm not going. I'm not. You're going to have to deal with that. I'm not dealing with that. You know, it's like oh, he's gosh. six four, she's four ten. Everyone's scared to death of her. She is knows her business. Oh yeah, and when she's mad at me, she could like my in Greek. My name is Mihali, so I'm like, Mom, you got to get out of the kitchen. And she grabs one spoon. She's like, Mihali, and I'm like, Oh boy, just do whatever. Do I'm whatever. in trouble. Yeah, just fix whatever the she says. I'll, I'll, I'll go back somewhere else. 
Uh, so the, that lasagna is still on the menu. So lasagna is still on the menu. She loved the lasagna. Um, she stayed for an extra day to help them with the meat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a little trial and error, pastry chef and author Duff Goldman tweaked his mom's fondue as a kid and shared how that unique meal influenced his curiosity for travel, different cultures, and adventurous eating. What did you cook when you were a kid? I know you, you say your mom's a great cook. What did you cook when you were a kid? We would have fondue night once in a while. Oh, you know, fun. Once every other month or so. But we would do a beef fondue. So we'd take the fondue pot and my mom would do a mixture of butter and oil and heat it up. And then she would cube all this meat. And then she would make all these different sauces. We had like a barbecue sauce and a curry mayonnaise. That was my favorite. A bunch of different sauces. She would do like a tamarind. Then we would get the big long fork and you'd stick it in the thing and you cook it. Oh, and what yeah. I realized was that I liked when the meat would be crispy on the outside, but still pink in the middle. I would put my meat in there and I'd get it crispy on the outside, but it was cooked all the way through and it was gray. So I'd be like, well, I want it pink in the middle. So I would leave it in for less time, but then it wasn't crispy on the outside. So then what I figured out was that if I turned the heat up, I could make it crispy on the outside and pink in the middle. And my mom would get really mad because she didn't want the thing to be that hot. So I'd have to wait till nobody was looking and I would just inch the heat up. That was how I figured out like, <laughs> oh, I can control the food that I'm eating. And then my mom, she loves television. We watch Julia Child and Galvin Gourmet and the Frugal Gourmet. Oh, me too. Justin Wilson. Me too. Remember Justin Wilson? God, I love Justin Wilson. I guarantee. Yeah, yeah, oh, I yeah. I, are you kidding me? I'm from the <laughs> South. I, I guarantee. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I would run home from school so I could watch Justin Wilson. I loved all those shows. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they're really great. I mean, you said tamarind. We wouldn't have had tamarind in our kitchen for anything. Your mother was pretty adventurous then. Yeah, she was a hippie. Awesome. She used to make sushi in the house. Like, she did a lot of cool stuff. And this is like the 70s and the 80s. I mean, it was, we were eating interesting stuff back then. And you know, thank God she did. Hopefully, whenever we have kids, you know, I'm going to feed them all kinds of stuff. Just because I want to make sure that my kids are adventurous in eating. Because there's so many wonderful things that come with that, you know and learning about cultures. I mean, my wife and I love to travel, love to eat. And every country we go, we eat all kinds of crazy stuff. And it's a really wonderful way to start to learn about a different people because you're starting out on common ground. You know, everybody's got to eat. Now, not everybody got the cooking gene from their mom, but despite her mother not being Julia Child in the kitchen, celebrity chef and author Carla Hall told me about how she still craves her mom's meatloaf after all these years. So we've talked about your granny, Freddie Mae. Was your mom a good cook too? No. That's a quick conversation. <laughs> yeah, I figured not because you said you didn't have much of a clue about some of the stuff going on in the kitchen. I figured it was your granny that was the cook and your mama just... I mean, my mother went to boarding school. So from fourth grade to 11th grade, she was in boarding school in Camden, Alabama. And even though I say that my mom doesn't cook, but my mother makes certain things. You know, like back in the day, I grew up in the 60s. So there were five things that she made. A pot roast, a meatloaf. She would make a lot of hamburger helper. 
I love Hamburger Helper. Just don't diss the Hamburger Helper. I love the Hamburger Helper. Okay. I have a recipe in my book called Hamburger Help Me. (laughs) 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 It's It's my mother. I said my mama's Hamburger Help Me. But I love meatloaf because of my mom. Me too. I absolutely love meatloaf. I had it at this restaurant called The Marshall in New York City. And I had ordered this meatloaf Reuben. And I sat there and it was such a visceral memory for me that I started crying as I was eating the sandwich. I knew you were going to say that. Isn't it funny how food can just transform? It's like music. Mm -hmm. When you hear a song, it takes you back to a place in time. Yes. And I think food does the same thing. Mm -hmm. The smells and the taste, they transport you back to wherever that memory is embedded. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yeah. It's such a gift. It really is. Now, your mom's meatloaf, was it like a traditional meatloaf or? It was. Kind of keep those same flavors in yours or? Yes, definitely. So the Worcestershire sauce and the onions and everything. The only thing that I do differently is I do like the mirepoix. So I take the onions, the celery, the carrots, and I blend it up. I use oatmeal just like she did. Your mommy used oatmeal. Yeah. Yeah. She used oatmeal. My mommy used white bread, of course, and kind of toasted it and made breadcrumbs out of that. And sometimes she didn't. She just tear up the white bread and throw it in there. I'd never heard of it with oatmeal. Tell me. I grind up the oatmeal. I put the milk that I'm going to put in. I let the oatmeal sit in the milk with all the spices. So the cayenne pepper and salt and black pepper, cumin, all of that. She didn't put cumin in hers. And then that goes into my mix. And I mix my egg in that. Right. So I have this egg milk oatmeal mixture with the spices. And then I have my vegetables and all that goes into the meat mixture. TV host Adam Richman of Man Vs. Food, Modern Marvels, and the Food That Built America walked me through his mom's famous spinach pie recipe. Now, what's your favorite thing to make with your mom or your favorite recipe that your mom makes? Okay, so without question, my favorite, I mean, it needs to be like its own food group. And it's not like spanakopita. My mom makes her version of a spinach pie. It has no crust. There's a little bit of breadcrumb to hold it together. But it's the type of thing that my college friends back at Emory would ask if I were bringing an extra one home. And my mom would often call me and say, is there anything you'd like me to prepare and have for when you get home? And then it was like spinach pie was like the letters R-N-S-T-L and D on Wheel of Fortune where they just give them to you. They already just know you're going to pick them. Right. And so my mother was just like, okay, I know spinach pie. But, but what else? Spinach yeah. pie. All right. Walk me through how to make one really quick. Oh, it's, it's, see, this is the thing. It's my mom's spinach pie is like cacio e pepe or throwing a knuckleball in Major League Baseball. I could teach you how to throw it in an afternoon, but it will take you a lifetime to learn how to throw it for strikes. Perfect it. Yeah. So basically, my mom thaws out a couple boxes of frozen spinach. Okay. Got to be frozen. Chopped spinach, not whole leaf. Eggs, ricotta, a little bit of Parmesan a big onion that she has just lightly sauteed, but she still wants it to be a little crispy. So you don't blanch it, chop it, sweat it, take it right off the heat, breadcrumb. Then you take some mozzarella and cube it, like about the size of a plain die. And then you cut the rest like a domino or a mahjong tile. And then you basically make the mix. And my mom does it very much by feel and by sight. Preheat your oven to about 355, oil like a Pyrex pan, press the mixture in, and then lay the mozzarella on top. 
I think she starts it covered with foil and then finishes it uncovered. It's but brown on the top. Right, exactly. I've tried to make it a few times and it's okay. It's a pale approximation of mom. Before we get into my chat with Zarella Martinez, her son, Aron Sanchez, an award-winning chef, TV personality, cookbook author, and philanthropist, talked with me about how his mom got him mentored by the one and only Paul Prudhomme and told me a crazy story involving Zarella's mole. You know, people may not know this, but you have a long history with New Orleans way before you started Johnny Sanchez. Tell me a little bit about your experience with Paul Prudhomme. Yeah, you know... I alluded earlier with the tattoos about my father sadly passing very young. As a young man, I kind of reacted poorly to that and was incorrigible and rebelled and maybe wasn't doing the right things. And it's all very well documented in my memoir where I come from. (laughs) So hopefully y'all can pick that up. But I was looking for direction. I was looking for guidance and mentoring. My mom made a call to Chef Paul Prudhomme, who they had become good friends, and said, look, I got this boy with potential, but he needs to get right. We need to break him down and build him back up. So I got sent to New Orleans at 16 years old for a summer, and it was literally culinary boot camp and life boot camp. And then he became a, obviously my mentor, but a father figure. And then I came back when I was 18 to live for a year. And that's where I got bit by the bug of New Orleans. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about your memoir. I love the story about your mom making the mole. Can you tell our audience a little bit about that? That's so charming and such a sweet story and a sweet food Thank memory. Thank you for saying that. You know, my mom and I, we just started our own podcast. Not competing with yours, darling. Okay. But um, it's going to be on Heritage Radio it's called Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. So my first initial I on, and my mom's name is Sarela with a Z. Yeah, so we're going to cover all different ingredients in the Mexican vernacular and world. And then what we're going to do is teach people about how to use the ingredients, give them some background, and then pepper in a bunch of stories. So one of them is the mole that you alluded to. So I remember back in the day, early 80s, we used to have to go back to El Paso, Mexico, and we were like ferrying ingredients back. We were like chili mules. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like... <laughs> yes, I do know. We couldn't get the ingredients in New York City. So my mom would kind of charge us with going there, visiting with family, and then we would bring back ingredients with us. Let me just make sure people understand that. Your mom had a restaurant in New York City. She's quite a legendary restaurateur in her own right. So she's not just a cook. She was a restaurant. Yeah, I mean, we had the restaurant for close to 30 years. And you got to remember, my mom, at that time, people had no idea what Mexican cuisine was all about. They thought it was all about, like, cheesy, crappy combo platters and all that. But my mom was really making a very concerted effort to elevate the cuisine. And subsequently, she had a beautiful run of almost 30 years with her namesake restaurant called Tarelas. In New York, right? Yeah, in New York City. Imagine that, being a single mom, a pair of twins, you know what I'm saying, twins, $5,000 to your name, going to New York City and putting all of it on yourself. She's a force of nature, you're saying. And that's why I gravitate towards strong women like yourself, Marnie, obviously, and women that handle their business. Because I just identify with that so much. Because I have my mom as that example. Tell us that mole story, if you don't mind. So my mom, we lived in this little apartment building. 
Kevin Nealon, for all you old schoolers that was on Saturday Night Live, lived in our building. And my mom started to make mole. And part of the process is toasting the chilies and kind of extracting the essential oils. It ended up being a complete show. Smoked out the house and the building. People evacuated the house thinking that there was a fire. But in essence, it was just my mama making molding. <laughs> so we're out there sitting in our pajamas looking at the building and people are like, oh my God, what's going on? And we're like, hey, y'all, we're just making molding. Not a big deal. You know what I mean? Hey, Kevin Nealon, we're just making molly up here. Don't worry about us. Exactly. That is such a great story. What is your favorite food memory or your favorite recipe from growing up with your mom? I have so many. I think there's the stuff that my mom did at the restaurant, which I love and still a big part of my life. But for me, when I wanted some home cooking and a dish that I craved, it was a dish called sopa seca, which translates dry soup. And basically what it is, is you take like, you know, fideos or alphabet pasta, and then you would toast them with some olive oil, kind of get it nutty. And then you would add a puree of roasted tomato, garlic, onion, and cilantro. After you roasted it, then you would puree that and add that to that mixture of toasting pasta. And then you would add stock. So you're almost cooking it like a risotto. Like a risotto, yeah. Yeah, so you'd add stock till it gets nice and soupy, but it has that texture. And then at the end, you just finish it with great cotija cheese. And it's like this warm, comforting risotto pasta-like dish. You're listening to Homemade. When we come back, Aron's mother, Zarela Martinez, joins me to discuss various regional Mexican dishes and her advice for mothers out there raising aspiring chefs of their own. We'll be right back after the break. Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Welcome back to Homemade. Before the break, we heard from Chef Aron Sanchez about his mom and how, as a single mother of twins, she put it all on the line to open one of the very first authentic Mexican restaurants in New York City. My mother and I had this running argument about whether we should devein green chilies for making a salsa or not. She was for deveining. She didn't like spicy food and she wanted things that were just very subtle. All of the spiciness is in the seeds and in the veins. So my idea was that you would just have to use more. But what is totally important in making a salsa is that all the ingredients must be very, very fresh. I wanted to talk to the woman herself, Chef Zarela Martinez. She truly paved the way for Aron's culinary career and that of many others as well. If you don't remember her landmark Mexican restaurant in New York City, Zarela, then maybe you're just too young. It was the thing. She and Aron also have their own podcast called Cooking in Mexican from A to Z. I'm thrilled to welcome Zarela Martinez to Homemade. 
I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me. Listen, I'm crazy about your son. Everybody is, but I am so crazy about that boy. He's so fun. We had him on Homemade a little while back, and he made us laugh, and he told a lot of stories about you. I want to start, like, in your early days. Your mom is the one who encouraged you to cook. You learned a lot about cooking from your mother. Is that right? Oh, absolutely. You know, we grew up on a cattle ranch. And there wasn't much to do. I mean, I always had cousins and friends staying there. And in the afternoon, my mother would give us a cooking class every day. What part of Mexico was that, where you grew up? Chihuahua. Chihuahua. Yeah, I was born in Sonora, Agua Prieta, and raised on this cattle ranch. But because the ranch was very far away from anywhere, I mean, there were stores or schools or anything, we were in boarding school all our life, which is why I speak English. Was it your mother that encouraged you to go out and take culinary classes from different parts of the country. Is that right? Well, what happened was that I was married to a widower with three kids, and I needed to make extra money. So I started baking cookies for friends and then cooking for my sister and cooking for her friends. And my mom said, you know, you have talent, honey. I'm going to give you your inheritance in life, and I'm going to take you to cooking classes all over. And that's what she did. She found somehow found this caterer. Lillian Haynes, who taught me everything about catering. And from there on, I went to different chefs. Is that how you met Paul Prudhomme? Because I know he was very important to your culinary career. Yeah, exactly. I mean, we had gone to take a class that was terrible. It was in, we were going to go take a class in Julie Dannenbaum's, you know, at the Greenbrier. Right. And we canceled the class, so we decided to go to New Orleans. And the class that we went to take was awful. It was at this place called the Enraged Chicken. And it was one of those places where the students were served at the restaurant at night. So we were, I only lasted one day there. And that same day, we walked into Calfrudo's restaurant, told him what had happened. And he said, you come here and I'll teach you Cajun and you teach me Mexican. How wonderful. So he recognized that you had talent, too. It wasn't just your mother. He recognized right away that you had talent. Well, he hadn't had my food yet. He just kind of liked me. I see. <laughs> but he did later become your mentor, your culinary mentor. Absolutely, like right away. He taught me not just to cook, but to how to deal with the press, you know, everything. He taught me everything. I remember going to Zarella a lot in New York. I used to be in the fashion industry, in the wedding business. And I had a designer that I worked with that loved Zarella and would take me there all the time. The worst hangover I ever had was after a night at Zarella drinking tequila and the most amazing food. The thing I remember the most is the tamales. Yeah, we used to make a different one every single day. I remember going to Zarella and getting these fabulous tamales, and they would be, like you said, they would be different every time. It was my very first place to ever really drink tequila that wasn't part of a margarita, you know? Yeah. Like you would have different brands of tequila that you don't just see everywhere, all the different ones. Now it's mezcal. Everybody has mezcal. That's true. Even my friend Guy Fieri has got a mezcal with Sammy Hagar. I remember Zarella just being like mind-blowing for me. I loved it. I read that at some point you decided you needed to do a whole culinary tour of Mexico so that you could learn as much as you could about Mexican cuisine outside of what you already knew. And culture. And culture. Can you tell me a little bit about that? So what did you do? Did you just start driving? I went with my friend, Laurie Smith, who's this very talented photographer, and with my mom. We went to Oaxaca, where I found my spiritual home. You know, I fell in love with Oaxaca right from the beginning. 
And from there, we went to Chiapas. There were some festivals going on, and it was amazing. Then from there, we went to Tabasco, then Yucatan, and then I went by myself to Veracruz. Is there a book about all these travels somewhere? Well, for, not in not in depth, but yes, in my first book, Food from My Heart, which is still available, you know, paperback. And, and what's it called again? Food from My Heart? Food from My Heart. And it's actually a really great book because it's a culinary autobiography. So as you were going around Mexico, did you see similarities? Or were all the regions quite different? All the regions are very different because of the herbs, mainly the techniques. You know, Oaxaca was the most different of all, but they were all very different. And what are some of the techniques that are really the, the foundation of Mexican cooking? Probably the one technique that is more characteristic of Mexican food is roasting vegetables. You know, roasting the tomatoes on a griddle, roasting the chilies, onions, garlic, because everything has that haunting kind of smoky. Flavor, you know. What makes the food and the cuisine of Oaxaca so different and so special? Well, because it's known as the land of the moles. I mean, even though Puebla has that mole poblano, which is very well known, Oaxaca has like seven moles, which are really like 700, like 7,000, because everybody's got their own variation of that particular mole. But that's what distinguishes Oaxacan food more than anything. That's all the core products, you know. I think one of the things that I recognized from your podcast was that all moles don't have chocolate, which I think is a big misconception that a lot of us have. Mole doesn't have to have chocolate, right? No, mole is simply a pureed sauce that has a thickener of some kind, you know, like seeds, nuts, bread, and it has aromatics and chilies, either fresh or dried. And you treat everything separately. So you're not going to put all this together. You're going to toast the chilies, and that's going to be one layer of flavor. You're going to toast the thickener. I mean, everything has layers and layers and layers of flavor. And every ingredient treated separately before it comes together in the mole. Exactly. So can you walk me through one easy mole that a home cook might be able to make? Like, what's the basic mole 101? How would I do that? Mole amarillo probably would be the, the easiest one. You would get like a green tomato and roast that. Okay. Because you want it to be yellow and you won't be able to get the right chilies because it's called chile chilcosle and you're not going to be able to get that. But you can use chile guajillo, put your toes, puree, and that one is thickened with a little bit of masa. Okay. You know, corn dough. And then it has minimum spices and, and herbs, you know, like cloves and maybe, you know, like... Cumin or...? Actually, not really cumin, but cloves. Well, maybe that one has cumin, but, but cumin is hardly used at all in central to southern Mexico. You know, one thing I don't know much about Mexican cooking is when it comes to vegetables. Is there a vegetable that you would say is a signature thing that we should learn to try or try to cook? Well, squashes of all kinds. Something that characterizes Mexican food is very interesting because there were nomads at the beginning. You know, there were hunter-gatherers. So if they found a plant that they could eat at every stage of maturity, like a squash, where it says you would eat the tendrils, you would eat the seeds. As it matures, you know, it becomes a, a different thing. So I think squashes are like a very, very typical, you know, Mexican vegetable. I know that. Chayotes and zucchini and calabacitas and, you know, all, all sorts of things. I don't know that last one you said. You, what did you say? Calabacitas. Calabacitas. This is like the zucchini. 
squash done with, with salsa, la pico de gallo, and cheese and corn. It's called calabacitas con queso. That is like zucchini with cheese. And it's one of the, I use the building block for that, you know, the salsa. Let's say that you make a pico de gallo. And then you, you want to saute a little bit of it. And then you saute it. And then you add the zucchini all, all diced up nice and fine, beautifully diced up. And the corn and then the cheese. And you can have this delicious dinner. Now, one thing that may not be that well known about you, but I read somewhere that part of the reason that you became so interested in cooking and having a restaurant was because you have a great love of entertaining. I love to entertain. That's my fun. Yes, me too. They call me Marty with the party. So I love to entertain as well. We have been on lockdown for quite a long time now. Can you give me some tips for entertaining Zarella style? How do you like to entertain? Well, I like to plan everything very well. Sometimes I like to make a make-your-own-taco party. Yes. When I have a, a big group of people, I make a bunch of fillings and toppings and have tortillas there. People make their own tacos. I like to do a lot of things that I don't have to eat up at this time of the year. And I make this pineapple jalapeno salad with red onion. That sounds great. And I make my snapper hash and this really great shrimp salad with avocados and jalapeno and a lime dressing. So it's all this lively flavors. What did you say? What kind of hash? Snapper hash. That's my signature dish. Snapper hash. I want to know about that. Well, basically, you could make it at home if you could make my pico de gallo, in other words, my sauce. And then you would add like a teaspoon and a half of cinnamon, a teaspoon and a half of ground cumin. Here you would use it. And then a quarter of a teaspoon of ground cloves and some plenty of cilantro. Cook the sauce down a little bit and then put the fish on it and cook it for about three or four minutes. Let it cool in the sauce. And then you shred it and you've got your hash. Ah, and then you put those inside a taco or... Yeah. Ah, it sounds beautiful. It's delicious. Well, I come from the land of Gulf Seafood, and Snapper's one of my favorite things. So I I can't wait to try that. I'm going to find that recipe and try it. When you have people over, I read somewhere that your favorite part of the whole experience is when people languish around the table and just talk afterwards. Is it called sobremesa? Sobremesa. I love that. And it's, you know, sometimes people come and they want to leave right afterwards and I get really furious. And I say, you know, I've been cooking all day long for you and I'm serving you and now you're just eating and this is not a restaurant. I have you here for because I want to have, you know, conversation. And sometimes I have a theme. So one time I had, the, the theme was mothers and Kathleen Turner was here. And she told the story that when she finally had the money, she took a grandmother, her mother, to Venice and, you know, they had this room in the canal. And, and then they finished their dinner and then this huge fireworks display came on across the canal. And the grandmother said, we didn't have to go that far. <laughs> we have grilling season and outdoor entertaining season coming up soon. Are there any tips that you can give us for perfect dishes for grilling outside? Oh, absolutely. I'd like to make a paella on the grill. I, I make the salmon with the chipotle paste marinade. This is why I tell you that I use the chipotle a lot. I put the marinade on the salmon and grill it, and it's fantastic. Also, you know, there's some chile rellenos from Oaxaca that, that you don't peel. You fill them with the cheese, and then you grill them, and then... So the outer coating gets burned and you just kind of peel it off like that a little bit and then eat it. And it's got the most amazing flavor. 
you can imagine. Paella too, I love. So even though it's not a Mexican dish, I think that's wonderful. I never thought about making it on the grill. And I know in Spain, they typically make it outside, Yeah. but I, I always make it in my kitchen. But so you just take a big cast iron pot or something and make it out on the grill. I have paella pans. And then just make it outside. Well, I don't have a backyard. I used to have this wonderful house with a backyard. So I just make it in my little New York kitchen. But you'd be amazed all the stuff that I can make in here. I did a six-course meal here in this tiny little kitchen, and it was like Six courses at your house? I, I can't wait. I hope I get my name on a, that invitation list one of these days. It sounds remarkable. So living with Parkinson's and living in New York, what would be something that you really enjoy doing now? I love to go to museums. Okay. That's like one of my favorite things to do, especially right now. There's a lot of stuff going on. So that's what I did. When my boyfriend was, before he died, every weekend we planned two or three activities. And, you know, he would, he'd like to make the decision. So I would pick three things that I would want to do. And I said, well, there's this and there's that and then there's this. What do you want to do? And then he would pick and then he'd say, he thought he picked it, but I really picked it. So we would go to talks, you know, we would go to presentations, we would go to openings, we went to movies, you know, we just, it was very, very, but now with this problem, with, I have a lot of problems walking. So it's, I have to really pick what I'm, what I'm going to do. All right. So I want to know, do you have advice for mothers of aspiring cooks or aspiring chefs? I imagine that people, when they have a child that wants to go into the culinary field, they ask you about it since you're very influential in helping Jerome find his path. Do people ask you for advice and what do you tell them? Well, first of all, I tell them that they have to be very well-rounded. You know, they have to be informed. They have to develop as a whole person. And then they have to go to, to culinary school or at least work at every position in the kitchen, you know, so that they get a real feel for what it is. And the most important thing is, which is my first teacher taught, told me, is that I had to develop my own style because there are millions of chefs, but the ones that really triumph are the ones that have their own style. And I've developed that, you know, so if people go to a party that I'm catering and they taste the food, even if I'm not there, they'll say, oh, Sarela must be catering. Right. So that's very, very important. And, you know, there's a lot of other things, you know, you have to treat your staff a certain way, pay them well. But the most important thing is to find something that you're so passionate about that you cannot live unless you're doing that. so much to all of our guests today. Zarella's podcast with her son, Aron Sanchez, Cooking in Mexican from A to Z, can be found wherever you get your podcasts. You can also keep up with everything she has going on at Zarella.com. That's Z-A-R-E-L-A.com. Next week, you loved her in TV Sister, Sister and in her new show, Family Reunion, but she's also got her own TV cooking show, too. I'm looking forward to welcoming the lovely Tia Mori to Homemade. So the reason that I love pickle juice, it's an easy way to brine. Not to say that brining takes a lot of time and energy, but there's steps to it. But when you have pickle juice, it's just already made for you. And it's just loaded with all of that salt and that flavor. It makes your poultry or meat that you're cooking nice and tender. And then it also gives it loads of flavor. But like I said, it's an easy way to just take your dish to the next level. 
You're not going to want to miss it. Subscribe to Homemade right now. And please, we'd love your feedback. If you could rate this podcast and leave us a review, I'd really appreciate it. And don't forget, you can find thousands of recipes, meal ideas, and cooking how-tos from the world's largest community of cooks at allrecipes.com. This podcast was recorded in Birmingham, edited in Atlanta, and can be found wherever you get your podcasts. Homemade is produced by All Recipes with digital content director Jason Burnett. Thanks to our Pod People production team, Rachel King, Matt Sav, Danielle Roth, Jim Hankey, Maya Croft, and Erica Wong. I'm Marty Duncan, and this is Homemade.